Twitter. I'm Alex Berg. She is Chantal Rochelle, and you are watching AM to DM. <sighs> Chantal, I am so excited to be out here co-hosting with you. Our time has come, Alex. I'm so happy. Finally, finally. Yes, you're usually in my ear, but today you are right next to me. I'm so excited. Again, another lovely change for me. <sighs> we love Outside it. Outside of the control room. I love it so much. Well, anywho, we have to move on to some news. Let's that get into our stories. Twitter trending, yes. you know? So the 2019 Super Bowl is months away, but Variety is reporting that Maroon 5 is performing at halftime, and a lot of people aren't happy about it. Shale Preheim, you tweeted, so many hometown stars to choose from. Why are we hearing that the halftime choice is Maroon 5 for the Super Bowl in Atlanta? So many. Usher, Sugarland, Sierra, Janelle Monet, Ludacris, Jason Aldean, Zach Brown Band, Outkast, Migos, T.I., oh, and so many more. Emmy Jewell tweeted, I feel like Maroon 5 has now replaced Nickelback as being the most annoying band. And I gotta say, I'm with Emmy here. Chantal, what's your reaction to this Maroon 5 news? Yeah, Maroon 5 has now joined that club of being the corny boy band with Nickelback. I have to agree with that because Maroon 5, I'm sorry, it's no longer 2004. It's, it's over. It's no longer 2004. Yeah. You know, Maroon 5 has had a lot of bops. Yeah. I agree, they've had mm -hmm. a lot of hits. They're catchy, they get a big audience, but there are so many other artists who so could many. have done this, so many. right? Yeah, I'm just thinking of so many, and I wanna know what Twitter has to say. We wanna hear from you. Who do you think should perform at the 2019 Super Bowl? Tweet us using the hashtag AM to DM. I know for me personally, I need my girl, Melissa Missy, Missinger Elliott, to open the show. I need her to open it, to be the middle, to be at the end. I need her to get her, her justice. She would be incredible, and mm -hmm. uh, just thinking back to the, uh, what was her name? Was it Katy, Katy Perry, oh. when, uh, when Missy Elliott completely stole the stole show. Stole the show. That stole was amazing. It. I want Janet Jackson. This mm -hmm. is her moment. I think she should totally get to perform. Um, she has the hits. Yes. It would be total redemption for her. Yeah. So uh, that is what I would And like I was telling you, I want her to do a little tease when she does it. Be like, oh, you thought. I want her to like, really like redeem herself. She's amazing. All right, well, we got to get to some more news. Here's a tweet from Katie McBride. Dear Professor Ford, something similar happened to me in high school. Thank you for your courage and your truth. I believe you, I appreciate you, and you are giving so many of us strength. You didn't deserve what you went through at 15, nor what's happening now. So many of us stand with you. That was one of the many tweets that made the hashtag Dear Professor Ford trend on Twitter last night, along with a video featuring public figures and celebrities expressing support for Dr. Christine Blaisley Ford. Joining us now to talk about this story is director and publisher of Feminist Press, Jamia Wilson. Good morning, Jamia. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. We're so happy you joined us this morning. Now, Jamia, you took part in this video. How did it all come together and what made you want to be a part of it? So I was just working at my home on Monday night and I got an email from Pella Mendoza, who's an activist and filmmaker, who said that there was this beautiful video idea that they had to show support for Dr. Ford and asked us to send in our videos of support. And I just knew that I had to be a part of this as someone who's a survivor myself and someone who really believes that it's important for us to believe survivors and to make sure that the highest court in the land does not have another abuser on it. Yeah, you just mentioned that you are a, a survivor yourself and, and the deadline uh, for Dr. Ford to decide if she's going to testify is tomorrow. Um, can you talk about what's at stake for women when they come forward and have to tell their stories so publicly? I think what is so important for us to remember is that it's really important for the survivor themselves to make the decision about how they want to address what has happened to them. And I think it's important for us to respect that. And in this case, Dr. Ford's 
Dr. Ford's survivorship was dragged into the spotlight, um, and that is something that should not have happened. But she has bravely and courageously moved forward. And I think that it's important for us to respect whatever decisions that survivors make, because in reality, we have a society where there's pushback and backlash that is inevitable because of rape culture and because of its prevalence. And I know that in my case, I didn't talk about what happened to me for over a decade because I was so scared of the repercussions and the damage and the victim blaming and shaming that is just so normal in our society. And it's something that needs to end because that's why so many people don't report abuse. It's so very true. And Jamia, I mean, now that we're talking about this, this story is eerily similar to Anita Hill and what she experienced back in 1991 with Clarence Thomas. How far have we come since then, if at all? We need to make sure that we do not repeat history. It is at our own peril if we don't learn from history and do better moving forward into the future. And right now, the Senate has an opportunity to not make right what happened in 1991, but to move forward with a better course. And that is why we need to follow the direction that um, Anita Hill has also prescribed in her amazing op-ed and also listen to women and listen to survivors about what is important in order to get closer to justice and in a situation like this. And so I think that it's important for us to learn from what happened. I still believe Anita Hill. That's a book that we published at the Feminist Press that I had uh, the opportunity to contribute to before I worked here. And I think that what she did was to raise awareness about what sexual harassment is in our society and what sexual abuse is in our society so that we can name it and then be able to transform it. And I think that we need to keep her in our memory and recognize what she did to blaze the trails for us to be able to tell our stories and to have a moment of solidarity like this that we need to continue until this ends. You mentioned sexual harassment, which is unfortunately pervasive and something that so many women have experienced themselves. How does this case between Kavanaugh and uh, Ford, uh, you know, represent more broadly uh, what happens to women when they come forward with these accusations? Everything that I've seen happen with this case, sadly, is everything that we would anticipate based on what we've seen in rape culture society. The victim blaming, the shaming, the lack of respect of a survivor's consent around how the knowledge is shared, the perpetuation of myths and lies um, in order to smear the reputation of the person who was abused. Um, also, a rush within media dialogue as well as public conversation to defend and make excuses for abusers. And that is why it is so toxic and problematic because we have been conditioned to place the onus on victims of abuse and rather than the people who are actually perpetuating the problems and um, inflicting harm on others. So it's really, really important um, that we take note of everything that's happening now because it's happened before and it's happening in communities around the country and around the world as we speak to many other people. And this is why people don't report and this is why we have not yet as a human community and as humanity address this issue of harm. Um, and it's going to continue to be a problem until we fully address it, acknowledge it, and create systemic fixes to this problem. Absolutely. We as a society have yeah. so much more to do. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Jamia. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Moving along to the aftermath of Hurricane Florence, BuzzFeed News reporter Brianna Sachs tweeted, two female mental health patients drowned in South Carolina after floodwaters overtook their jail transport van. The Hari County deputies driving the vehicle tried to rescue them, but the local media says they were chained in the back. Mm. 
BuzzFeed News reporter Mary Ann Georgentopoulos wrote about how the officer behind the wheel may have driven his van around flooded road barriers. Mary Ann joins us now. Hi, guys. Good morning, Mary Ann. So what's the significance of the road barriers? Um, so if the road barriers were there and, you know, the sheriff yesterday said that, you know, the road, the barriers were there. So he's assuming that the, that the officer driving drove around them, but couldn't say for certain just yet. But, um, you know, those barriers were indicate that, you know, you can't really drive down those roads, uh, could be flooding, could be unsafe for whatever reason they were there, um, indicating that, you know, don't drive down here. Yeah, uh, obviously these uh, barriers are now a big question, but uh, you know, I saw this story kind of popping up on my timeline uh, yesterday. Um, who were the women who were in the van? So the two women were uh, Nicolette, who goes by Nikki Green, and uh, Wendy Newton. Um, they were both, uh, from what their families are saying, you know, uh, sought help on their own. Um, and, you know, once consulted with a doctor, uh, decided to be uh, committed and hospitalized. Um, and that is kind of how they ended up um, in this van being transferred uh, to hospitals. Oh, gotcha. So they were being transferred. So tell us, why couldn't the rescuers rescue these women out of the car? So, you know, obviously there's still a lot of questions that remain unanswered, but the sheriff said yesterday that, you know, as the van kind of was swept away by the floodwaters and it quickly started being submerged that the uh, the two officers that were um, that were there, the driver and one other deputy, couldn't get to the to the women. Uh, whether the door to the section of the car where they were was either um, like blocked by water pressure or was up against a guardrail, uh, it remains unclear kind of why they weren't able to get to the women um, and. It took a while to retrieve the car and the women's bodies yesterday. You know, the incident happened Tuesday night, and it wasn't until Wednesday evening that they were able to um, bring, bring the vehicle back up. Whew. Well, we will keep an eye on this story as it develops. Marianne, thank you for joining. Thanks for having me. Wow, those were some pretty heavy stories, but now we are going to take a moment to cleanse the timeline. Ooh, take a breath. In a rough morning, we deserve a little joy, so it's time for Fire tweet. Ready? Yes. Fire! Fire! John Hindle, you tweeted, a student emailed me profusely apologizing for getting my name wrong at the top of their paper. And I was like, thanks, whatever, no big deal. Then I got to their paper and saw their instructor was Professor What's-His-Nuts. Wow. Yikes. Uh, goes to read the top. Yeah. Professor, I would have been like so mad if I were mm -hmm. that professor. Have you ever done anything like this? I have, but nothing like that. I sent, I didn't finish a sentence and I sent it by mistake and they were just like, are you, what's going on? Are you okay? Have you? Uh, I have not, but I would like to send a personal shout out to the uh, Gmail unsend plugin. Shout out Real to helpful. Mm. Jen Statsky, whoever called baseball America's favorite national pastime forgot about hating women. Ooh, the truth. The America truth. loves a little bit of casual Ooh. misogyny. Mm, so and a lot real. of serious non-casual misogyny. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they really do. <laughs> Dan, oh, I'm gonna man. come into that control room any second now. <laughs> Dan is our sound guy. Shout out to Dan. All right, next tweet. 
I love to put emphasis in the tweet. Oh yeah. <laughs> yes. Hop Matthews, you tweeted, the closest you can get to knowing what it's like to be a ghost is listening to a podcast where the hosts are trying to remember a piece of trivia that you know. <laughs> you're like sitting there with your headphones on and you're like, I know, I know, hey, listen to me, exactly. somebody, I know this. Yeah, I feel like they hear me, I'm just like, hello, listen to me. <laughs> All right, next one. Sandra Newman, listen, Burton Ernie fucking women was part of my childhood and you can't just take that away. This is disrespectful. Okay. I'm not. Cut me a break. They were puppets. The puppets deserve to be their authentic selves too. Do not ruin their legacy, please. I just can't. I can't do it. Moving on. All right, Alice Roth, you tweeted. So excited to transition from wearing the same five things in the summer to the same five things in the fall. Real, Alice, same, same. Same, I have yeah. three moto jackets that I will start wearing next mm -hmm. week. I wear Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, start the cycle over again and continue. That's real, you do a little shirt, you do a little multiple blazer action, so they'll never know. And that's it, they'll right. never know. All right, you ready for this I'm ready. today? ready, All right, from Benny the Bull. Don't let the Space Jam 2 news distract you from the fact that the Monstars blew a 66-18 halftime lead. Still not over it. Hashtag still. still mad about it. How did you blow that lead? Monstars. Are you excited about this movie? I am so excited. I was a little hesitant because I was just like, this is a, a legendary movie and sequels are not always necessary, but Terrence Nance, Ryan Kluger, LeBron James, sign me up. Here for this one. All righty, well, moving on. We've got a packed show today. Chrissy Teigen and Shamar Moore are here. But up next, Alex is talking to Dear America author, Jose Antonio Vargas. So excited for this conversation. I'm so excited to hear I'm it. A big fan of his work for a long time. Uh -huh. from the new book, Dear America, Notes of an Undocumented Citizen. A woman diagnosed with a brain tumor was picked up at a hospital in Fort Worth. A father in Los Angeles was arrested in front of his U.S. citizen daughter, whom he was driving to school. A young woman was apprehended after speaking at a news conference against immigration raids. A zero-tolerance policy at the border rips families apart, denying asylum seekers their rights under international law. I'm joined now by the author of Dear America, Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist, Jose Antonio Vargas. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me here. Now, uh, in this book, you retell your own story, and uh -huh. you talk about a lot of times when you had to cover or uh, where you were almost caught yourself or afraid of being caught. So what was it like going back and unearthing some of those memories as you were writing this? Well, my editor actually was the one who said, who asked me to list like the most painful experiences of what it means to grow up in this country illegally. I've been here 25 years. So I made a list and then what the list had in common was that everything was either about lying about being here, trying to pass as American, even though I don't have the right papers, or hiding, like hiding from the government, which I did for like 14 years, right? Um, so that's why I came up with, you know, the structure of lying, passing, hiding. Um, and that's because I think every undocumented person, right, or actually anyone who's ever felt like they have to lie, pass, and hide in America can relate to that theme, you know, to kind of to those themes. Lying, passing, and hiding, it sounds yeah. like it would really take a toll to keep yes. so much of yourself a secret, uh, and then also having to, you know, willfully lie at some points and even break the law to get things like employment. Um, yeah. How are you grappling with the psychological toll? So that's actually that? what, what I wanted to do. Like, you know, like when you read from the book, like those are the kind of headlines we read every day, right? Like you BuzzFeed, you on BuzzFeed, you hear those, and, and you read those things. And I wanted to kind of put 
are kind of emotions at the center in terms of talking about psychologically what's what's the cost of all of that? Like, what does it mean that you live in a country that doesn't want you here and yet we're here and yet there are like millions of other people who help us lie, pass, and hide? Like, you know, as we're talking right now, like how many undocumented people are working here in New York City? How many employers know that they employ undocumented people? How many families know that they employ undocumented nannies, right? Like, we're all complicit to this. It's not just undocumented people, right? So I wanted to kind of explore that and explore kind of that. So to write something that goes kind of beyond my own life and speaks to the experience of what this is this has been for us outside of politics and policy. You know, I think if I had titled the book Dear Trump, <laughs> it just wrote the book all about Trump, um, but that would be intellectually dishonest. Like didn't this did not happen overnight. You know, in the book I wrote about being arrested and detained in mm -hmm. Texas, you know, when Obama was president. When President Obama, you know, was you know deported more about three million people in his entire eight years in office, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and yet, we seem to think that this happened overnight and that Trump is the only person to blame. This has been a bipartisan mess, right? And people's lives are, are at stake. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think you raised such a good point that uh, there are some people for whom uh, waking up the day after the, the election was a real eye-opening moment, but then yeah. there are so many people who already knew about so many of these issues. Um, you know, you wrote that, uh, you know, writing about your uh, status was uh, like coming out as gay all over again, right? Yeah, um, just, yeah. I've yeah, come, yeah. come out twice and I have no more coming out. <laughs> no more, you're done. You're At done. least I'm not sharing any more <laughs> beyond those two things. How has your life changed in the past seven years since oh. your story? And that's the other thing. I didn't really realize kind of what the emotional toll has been of all of that. And um, because what's happened is, you know, being public about this, everybody tells you their story and carrying that <laughs> sometimes is heavy. Um, so, so, so the toll has been trying to see just what, how inhumane the entire conversation has gotten that people can't really see themselves beyond pieces of papers and laws that we haven't even passed. Like I'm more than a piece of paper, you know what I mean? Like I've been able to live and you know survive and thrive in this country um, without quote unquote immigration reform. Uh, when people say to me like, what's gonna happen when you become a citizen? Well, you know, as far as I'm concerned, I'm already an American. I'm just waiting for my own country to my own country to recognize that. Yeah, you mentioned the dehumanization of uh, being reduced to a piece of paper, and of course, in the intro, uh, you know, I read uh, about some of those um, stories that we've been yeah, hearing that yeah. that uh, and those headlines. What do you think those headlines miss? I think they miss the fact that when a family suffers, an entire community suffers. Like we all belong in a community of people. Um, you know, I made a very conscious effort in this book to kind of talk about the community that I come from, right? That my life here, like my, my, my career as a journalist at the Washington Post, for example, and you know, my, my, my life as a student at Mountain View High School, that would not have happened if I didn't have an entire community of people that lied for me, that allowed me to pass, that, that kind of hid me. Right? And hiding me in plain sight. It's not like I've been writing since I was 16 years old. My name was, has been on a piece of paper since I was 16. So they, they've all been a part, you know, I was with Joy Reid, my friend Joy Reid last night, we had, a, we had a book event in Brooklyn, and she said it, it's been a conspiracy. I've been thinking a lot about that word. Yes, I could, I, yes, that, that's, that's, that's accurate, but also it's been, um, 
it, it's in my opinion, like they've defined for me what America is, right? That even though we are going through this awful, awful time in U.S. history, the only comparison is really like the 1920s when you know Polish. Like, we prefer the Northern Europeans to the Southern Europeans, mm -hmm. right? The difference, though, is that all those European immigrants could become white. Mm -hmm. You know, most of the country's immigrants, uh, documented or undocumented, are mostly Latinos and Asians. Mm -hmm. So we don't, you know, blend in quite as easily, mm -hmm. right? But how many, how many millions of people of all ethnic and racial backgrounds allow the 11 million undocumented people to pass? So uh, just very quickly before we have to go, yeah. um, you know, you mentioned you've had your names, uh, your name in bylines. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're you have this great career as a journalist, um, and yet you are still in this very precarious position yourself, right? Yeah. There's still a, a warrant out for for you. Yeah, they haven't filed it yet. Um, okay. And you know, I'm going all around the country for this book tour. I'll be in Houston. I'll be in Tulsa, high Oklahoma. <laughs> I'll see you in Oklahoma. Um, and I gotta just be prepared for what happens. But look, they've already detained me. They've already done what they can do. Um, you know, I'm a big Toni Morrison fan, and Toni Morrison said that freedom is in my mind, and she's absolutely right. Well, I can't think of a better note than ending this on Toni Morrison, so <laughs> yes. thank you so very much for joining me. Thank you, thank you for having me. And uh, Dear America is available now. Up next, we're going live from the district, and then Hayes Brown sit down, sits down with Allison John, the mother of Botham John, stick around. Welcome back. We're going live from the district with BuzzFeed News politics reporter Nidhi Prakash. Good morning, Nidhi. Hi, morning. Here's a tweet from Politico's Burgess Everett. Grassley sets a deadline and letter to Dr. Ford's attorneys. Dr. Ford's prepared testimony and biography are due to the committee by 10 a.m. on Friday, September 21st, if she intends to testify on Monday. Now, Nidhi, how are Ford and her lawyers responding to this deadline? So basically, uh, Dr. Ford and her lawyers are saying that they are not willing to go ahead with this unless there is a nonpartisan investigation first. Um, they're saying that they would be willing to cooperate with the committee, but the way that they've set it up is not fair, according to them. So um, one of the issues here is that the plan is to have Dr. Ford and uh, Judge Kavanaugh testify, and that's the end of the list of witnesses. And uh, her lawyer is saying that they need to be inviting all of the people who have come forward and said that they have some recollection of this event um, to testify before the committee. What details are uh, Republicans and Democrats uh, still fighting over when it comes to this hearing? So the Republicans on the committee are saying that they're offering uh, Dr. Ford an opportunity to go up and testify in front of the committee on Monday, that they're willing to do that either in public or, you know, in private, that they're even willing to send uh, staffers to California to interview her privately if that's what she'd prefer. Democrats are saying that, you know, according to her wishes, that there needs to be some kind of thorough investigation before she's even asked to go before the committee. So that's really kind of the issue at the, at the crux of this. Wow. So which senators are still planning on moving forward with the hearing? So the Republicans on the committee, led by Senator Grassley, have said that this is her opportunity to come forward and speak up and that they do want to hear her out, but this is the setting in which to do so. So it's not clear what will happen if she doesn't agree to go before the committee by this deadline tomorrow morning. Whew. Well, uh, you know, Republicans have criticized the timing of uh, Dr. Ford's letter, but um, can you shine some light on what the real timing of this letter was? Sure. So we know that Senator Feinstein uh, received this letter earlier on in the summer. 
Uh, and this is something that Republicans have been criticizing her for for the past week, that she didn't uh, make it public or share it with other members of the committee until last week. Um, what Senator Feinstein has since said, and other Senate Democrats have also uh, supported her on, is that Dr. Ford didn't want to come forward at that stage, uh, that this was all kind of conducted according to her wishes. And uh, this is something that she was weighing up for a long time, you know, the costs of coming forward and, and going public with this. Um, and, uh, and so uh, that's kind of how it's played out, is, uh, is essentially with Senate Democrats um, going, according with her, going according to her wishes, it seems like. Well, uh, we're obviously going to keep on following this story over the next couple of days. Nidhi, thank you so much for joining. Thank you. And we're going now from the district to Hayes Brown here in New York. Good morning, Hayes. Good morning, guys. I'm here with Allison John and her lawyer, Lee Merritt. Allison is the mother of Botham John, who was shot in his home by a Dallas police officer. Good morning to you both. Good morning. This first question is for you. Officer Amber Geiger says she accidentally entered your son's apartment, which then led to the fatal shooting after he allegedly ignored her verbal commands. Do you believe Amber entered your son's apartment with the intent to murder him? I think based on a number of articles that I've read, that she appears to have entered with the intent to kill him because she was a police officer and based on protocols that police officers ought to have used, she certainly didn't use them. The sequence of events that she outlined in her affidavit does not appear logical because one would, at, would enter the apartment and even if they saw the door ajar, the first inclination would be to turn on the lights that are closest to the doorway. She didn't do that. She gave verbal commands, she said, that were not followed. It showed that he didn't even use any aggression. So the, the fatal shot is just unimaginable. It, it, it does not make sense. So there's no, I have no other choice but to believe that she did it intentionally. Lee, this isn't your first pro high profile case involving a police shooting. How do you choose which cases to take and what made you decide to take this case on? You know, that's an important question and when I get involved, I really look at police officer behavior. Mm -hmm. uh, whether, they were, whether or not they were operating inside or outside of the laws uh, for the use of force. And this case is, is certainly a case that's egregious in terms of the behavior, entering someone else's home, even under, even under the facts that she described. If they were to be true, and we, we don't believe them to be true, but even under the facts that she described, she says she, she gave commands to what she perceived as a silhouette. Mm -hmm. And when it failed to comply, she resorted to deadly force. There were so many other options at that point. She could have retreated, which she had a responsibility to do, mm -hmm. seeing that she was in, um, she was in uh, his apartment, or she could have um, uh, used some other form of for force. There, there was no justification such as, uh, and then the person came toward me or acted aggressively and I feared for my life. It's, it's just absent from her explanation. And, and so, uh, and, and like uh, Ms. John has explained, we don't believe that to be the case, but even under her, her, her version of events, the, the, the use of force was unjustified. Allison, you've accused the police department of trying to smear your son's name, primarily through releasing the discovery of marijuana in his apartment after the shooting and other information like that. What is it that you want the world to know about your son? Well, my son, I don't even have to say to the world what my son was. 
the several testimonies that we have gotten from Facebook, from Twitter, from the, few, the memorial that we had in Dallas, and several private messages that I've received came from people who knew him mm -hmm. and who said how much of an outgoing, a loving person that he was. Um, I have to accuse the police department of smearing my son's name because to come up with marijuana being in his apartment, mm -hmm. it appears that Amber Geiger was the one who was out of her mind for her to have made so many mistakes, for her to drive onto the fourth floor, for her to walk onto the fourth ramp, for her to go to, the, to 1478 when it was clearly lit, for her to, you know, there are so many things that seem that she was out of her mind. So to now put it on a dead man who cannot say what happened really brings out the anger in me. And I have no choice but to say that it was a smear campaign. Lee, you tweeted this video of the fire doors that shut in Botham's building in response to an ABC affiliate report about the door being left ajar. What responsibility do you think the media holds in uh, what Allison has referred to as the smear campaign? How have we helped, as the media, helped set the narrative? It's, it's really important what the media reports and how responsibly they choose to report information. Right now, Dallas police officers are actively sharing details they believe to be exculpatory mm -hmm. towards Ms. Geiger or details that they believe confirm her story, while the district attorney, who has a lot more information available, information that's inculpatory towards Ms. Geiger, she's not going to report that information. Mm -hmm. And so as, as the Dallas Police Department tries to win this case in the court of public opinion and begin to convince people who may potentially be jurors in the future that this young woman had no malice, that this was a big accident. Um, the media has a responsibility either to not report the information that's unconfirmed um, or to, to show, uh, to do, do the due diligence and report all sides of the information. There's so much about her story that's implausible and some of it that, that's impossible information that's in the public domain. And so if media is going to engage in sort of this information war, they need to uh, be more neutral and not simply parrot information by uh, officers who, who obviously have a dog in the fight. You've been extremely critical of the Dallas Police Department's behavior so far. Do you believe that at this point they're capable of conducting a fair investigation into one of their own? No, no. I, I rarely believe that law enforcement officers are, they shouldn't be given the responsibility of investigating their own. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the Dallas Police Department um, knew that, and so they went out and brought in the Texas Rangers. Unfortunately, the Texas Rangers is an organization that is a law enforcement organization that notoriously sides with law enforcement, even in the most extreme set of circumstances. And so it's going to be the responsibility of the district attorney's office, who again has a unique relationship with law enforcement, generally speaking, uh, to, to thoroughly go over the information being presented to them. Um, and it's going to be the responsibility of my office as well as, as we run a parallel investigation to turn over evidence to the, uh, the district attorney's office. There's been some speculation that it's po there's a possibility that the officer in question knew uh, Botham Jean before the incident. Is there any evidence of that so far? 
Yeah, no evidence whatsoever. Mm. Uh, Botham is someone who lived in community, uh, not only with his family and with his friends, uh, but he, he left footprints about almost everything that he did. And so uh, from what he was text messaging that night to the people he spoke with, uh, to his longtime friendships, to the, the, the extremely close and intimate relationship he had with his mother and his sister and his brother and his father, uh, him dating an older police officer would be news uh, to the family. <laughs> and, um, and, and it's something that it was never, we have no, no way of, uh, of verifying or backing up. Allison, another question for you. Earlier this week, nine protesters were released from jail for protesting the shooting outside of a Dallas Cowboys game. What does the community reaction so far mean to you? Oh, I'm really grateful for the um, support that I'm getting from the community in Dallas, in New York, in my country, St. Lucia, in Florida, in Atlanta, in Canada, in London. Um, I understand St. Croix. So it's widespread and I'm really appreciative of their efforts. I'm really grateful to the nine in Dallas who had to um, stay in jail. Imagine they stayed in jail longer than Amber. And I'm sorry that they had to go through it, but I'm really looking forward to heightened protest action to really cause the sensitivity that is required of the officials in Dallas to do what is necessary to see that justice is served for my son. All right. And so with all that in mind, Allison, what then does justice look like for you? Justice for me looks like, number one, that Amber receives a murder charge because she murdered my son. I always, um, the question I, I, I keep asking is, what if she was not a police officer? I just want us to put that aside and just say that one of the other neighbors made all this, these mistakes that led to a murder. Mm. I want her to be treated just like that person. That's one justice to me. But even before we get there, she cannot continue to receive state funds by way of a salary after committing such an offense. So these are the two major things that I would like to see coming out of this case. Allison and Lee, thank you so much for joining us today. We will be back with more AM to DM. I'm Hayes Brown, and this is The Sit Down. I'm here with Chrissy Teigen, everyone's favorite Twitter user and the author of the new cookbook, Cravings Hungry for More. Chrissy, thank you so much for being Hi, here with Hayes. us. Hi, Hayes. I was telling him earlier, baby name. I, I really wanted it for my baby name. And I'm shook right now <laughs> by that new knowledge. I'm going to brag about that no, all the time. No, no, it's, it's for you. Thank it's you. you. <laughs> Me and Twitter now. So, Let's start things off by asking you about Cardi B's song, She Bad, which you oh have said gosh. you loved. She drops your name. I know. Do you need her to get back to the studio now I, that we know the I truth? I still am not positive she has any idea who I am. Um, I am like, I'm constantly on, like, the, I'm like, is she following me back mm -hmm. yet on Twitter? Or Wait, anything, she doesn't follow you back? I don't, I don't think so. And I... <laughs> But I'm like, anytime I'm lumped in with Rihanna, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, for anything, I'm sold, so. Right? I'm, I mean, yeah. that's just like apex yeah. right there. I mean, I'm like, well, I don't even, I, I would be so nervous to be, even be in the same room as the both of them, so yeah, but I'm down for whatever the song says she wants. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, so speaking of tweets, though, you were tweeting the other day during the Emmys. Yes. Uh, including an epic clapback during the actual <laughs> show itself. I was like, I'm still sitting here. Can people not talk about, like, if I'm pregnant? Like, I'm still here. Like, present. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm here in the same outfit, please. So, <laughs> what goes on during the commercials? Because they are epic for us out there. We're watching things. What's it like being in the in the audience, kind of having not, to like wait. Everyone's scrambling, the seat fillers are getting screamed at. I'm always like, well, I feel bad for people that sign up for that, because I know it seems glamorous and cool to mm -hmm. be at the Emmys, but they're like literally dragged around, like sit down, sit Jeez. down. And they're just like, oh, and they're, and you get sometimes someone sitting next to you and you're not sure if they're famous or a seat filler and you, but you, like, you, so I just get confused. Do you but. do a quick Google? Do you Google? No, like, no, when no, you're no. Sitting there next they're always to them? so sweet and so excited. You can tell. And it's, it's, but I'm like, man, that's, it's a job. They like, they force you into different corners mm -hmm. and then people are trying to get drinks and it's, there's a lot happening. All these horrible photos because seated photos when mm -hmm. you're there, it's just like they, they shoot up and your legs are out and your, everything's out. It sounds like a wonderful, glamorous nightmare. It's very <laughs> glamorous. It's mainly like 3,000 people looking for drinks. I mean, that sounds that like every, every concert I've been Everyone's to, just though, like so. sniffing out alcohol, basically. <laughs> so. Twitter, you're everyone's favorite person on Twitter. <laughs> uh, I, is Twitter still fun for you, or it is it something is. that you have to do? Sometimes I'm like, man, if Twitter, you know, is it going to be like MySpace one day where we're like, oh my God, I can't believe I was ever on Twitter. But um, no, I think it's so fun still. I love it. I think it's kind of whatever you make out of it. You mm -hmm. get to curate your own feed. And so if you're having like, you know, if you hate Twitter, it's kind of your own fault, I feel like. Hmm. Um, but I love it. I, I do love it. More than Instagram, still. Like wow. I'm, a, yeah, I'm. It's a, in your soul. Yeah, you tweet. yeah. I don't know why. I don't. Maybe because Instagram, I don't know who's watching my stuff. Mm -hmm. I can't see that, or I don't know. It's. Do you mute people? Are you a blocker? How I do like you? I like people to know that I blocked them. Oh snap! Yeah, everyone's like, yeah, but muting, it's just them yelling at a wall. But I'm like, no. No, I want the wall to fall on them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I need a crumbling tower just mm -hmm. to crush. Is there anyone <laughs> who you wish you could unfollow, but you can't? Yes. For sake. Name yeah, there's some people that are actually like scary enough to where I'm like they would either <laughs> like it too much if I unfollowed because you know there's I don't know there's people that have blocked by uh -huh. and they're like oh, proud right. of that and yeah. so then I can kind of gauge whether I should block them or mute them but um, yeah there's people I I want to unfollow but I can't because John <laughs> right works reasons. with them or you have a new cookbook out yes. cravings hungry for more yes finally my baby finally. My second baby yeah well fourth baby I don't know several babies it, but yeah so many babies <laughs> but second cookbook and it's just like it's really like giving birth to another child but you're like you're so excited about it but terrified because you're not pos like the first one did so mm -hmm. well and people loved it and still cooking from it and then you want it to live up to the first one and then John's like it's the same thing with albums you know you're scared you're, Whatever. yeah it's totally the same yeah <laughs> just crush it you'll be fine yeah, yeah, that's my John Legend yeah. voice now I guess I know it is it's, it works <laughs> so what was one recipe that you thought you were excited about you were ready to put in the book but then you tried it out and was like this is the worst oh, thing I've ever gosh. done oh my gosh I tried to do um, a candied green beans where I was like I so I maple syrup mm -hmm. I feel is good but yes. Mrs. Butterworth's Aunt Jemima is really where it's at to me that is what syrup is supposed to be <laughs> okay. so I tried cooking um, green beans with syrup um, but the problem with something as synthetic as <laughs> Aunt Jemima and Mrs. Butterworth's is that when you cook off um, any of the flavor you're right. left with pure chemicals so I tried to do like a candied green beans and it was just 
it was the most vile thing I've ever tasted. So we ended up just doing it with like sugar water and mm -hmm. a, a little cleaner. But yeah, that one was a huge epic fail. Um, I mean, the banana bread took uh, you know, bless the banana bread so saga. Everyone always, uh, people love to bring it to me too. Um, if it's like a book signing mm -hmm. or, um, and I don't have the heart to tell them that I, I just, I can barely stomach it anymore. I had so much banana bread for in the span of one month, <laughs> um, just testing it like different chips, different, um, different chocolate mm -hmm. chips. Sorry, not regular chips. Although that is something I, I mean, would do. I mean, <laughs> that, I'm going to write three. that down, actually. <laughs> that sounds awesome. You also have a new kitchen line out for yes. Target, Kitchen Tabletop. Yes. What was it like creating that? That is truly a dream come true. I mean, uh, I live in the kitchen. The kitchen is my... is it, I When I say that I sleep in the kitchen, like our family room and kitchen are tied together, mm -hmm. and I just feel most at home in there. And we have, if anyone watches my Instagram or anything, you see that all of our plates and everything, we love it to get, you know, to just get better with age. So we keep everything out. We love like little spots on things and little bits of rust. And we wanted the collection to really reflect, you know, a, a timeless collection, but mm -hmm. to be able to look homemade and handmade and, and, and each piece has is a little bit unique. Um, you know, things aren't perfectly uniform in the collection. They're not supposed to be. Mm -hmm. They look, um, they look handmade and they look, um, they just- a Little farmer's markety. Yeah, exactly. And I love that. I mean, one of my, um, favorite things to do here in New York City is to go to um, go to ABC and, oh. and see their housewares and and now that my world has been opened up to something outside modeling or doing cookbooks to be able to have you ever just like flipped through a Pantone book like that is uh, so no, but it fun. sounds very relaxing. Oh, it's so nice. It's just a book of colors <laughs> and all you do and they're like glossy colors and matte colors and you go through and you are discovering like the latest trends. It's like fashion. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a big trend in in different textiles, different napkins, whether and you follow those as a cookware line and mm -hmm. It's interesting to see um, the pops of color that I do like and gravitate towards, and I hope everyone loves it because we are so proud oh. of you know of of finally being able to come out with it and share it because it's been such a secret for so long. Well, last time you were here, you were pregnant with Miles, yes. and you said that Luna had no idea what she had in store. <laughs> so, what's it like being a family she's of four? She's still so in her own mind. She's all about Luna. Uh, she's all about John and all about Luna. Mm -hmm. Baby Miles, she is so sweet with though. Like, I, I, she really surprised me. She is so kind and empathetic and sweet with him and very gentle. She knows he's a little baby. And she gives him sweet little kisses. She Aww. has her baby doll that she changes when I change him. And she has been like, she has really been incredible. And Miles is just like such a little love bug. He's Aww. a John that's just been like boom, 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 into a little baby. It's <laughs> <laughs> a, a technical process, yeah, really. Yeah, it's like John, uh, 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 and there and you go. That. That's what I had. I had a tiny baby John. <laughs> Another big change since the last time you were here, John became an EGOT. I know, and everyone's congratulating e me is what I, that's what I love so much. Really? Like, when I walk around the city, you're like, congrats on the EGOT. I'm like, thank you, do I pass this along? What do I do? Do the wave. Yes. Yes, thank like, you. Yes, it's How, a, How's it been living with him since then? He's so, I mean, he's pretty easy to live with mm -hmm. um, since I met him. But um, I, you know, I, there's a sense of completion, obviously. Mm -hmm. And then you think and you're like, oh my gosh, he could be like the world's first double EGOT or Ooh. have the e ga 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 like, because he has a Golden Globe. Oh, true. And I mean, yeah, he basically just, I don't, 
at this point, like, what do you do? Do you just go just, for doubles? Just go for the Streisand just wall. I know. The full room awards. I know. Jimmy for. Kimmel actually sent us an sh extra shelf for mm. his extra awards <laughs> now. And um, it has the exact same dimensions. Like, I don't know how he did this, but it was oh. pretty incredible. Yeah, we just got this giant shelf in the mail. Well done, Jimmy. <laughs> Very good. All right, so your husband has a ton of fantastic songs. Yeah. Some of them were even about your relationship. Yeah. So we thought, let's see how well uh, yeah, oh, you okay. know okay. John Legend's music. I'm oh gonna my read, gosh, okay. I'm gonna read a lyric and you're going to guess what song it's from. Okay. If you get more than four wrong, you're gonna have to tweet out your shame. That, okay. oh, I don't know John's music. Oh, I mean, that's a fact. I don't know anything <laughs> about John. You can just tweet it now. No, okay. we're gonna, we gotta do the game okay. first, okay, Christy. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, okay. okay so first lyric. Love your curves and all your edges. Oh, all of me. Hey! <laughs> nice. Phew. Good start. Good Phew. start. Okay. All right, next one. Her favorite colors be platinum and gold. Stereo. Boom. <laughs> two for two <laughs> on a roll. I still can't believe you found somebody new, but I wish you the best, I guess. Everybody knows. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Even when we try so hard for that perfect kind of love, it could all fall apart. Oh, it could all fall apart. It could all fall apart. Is it pet? No. Uh, I don't know. Buzzer noise. <laughs> Love me now. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Soon as I saw you, baby, I had plans. Planned to take you to my elevator. Oh, um. Penthouse floor. The beginning. Oh my god, I love that song. Too. Ah, womp womp. My team is honestly here doing like the worst <laughs> gestures. Charading so out horrible, in the crowd. Oh, but they're gosh. doing a terrible job. <laughs> Alright, next up. Before you worry about your hair, baby give me one more hour. Before you buy baby give baby give me one more hour. I know the song, but uh I I don't know. Buzzer noise. I don't know. I forget what that title is. <laughs> it's Good Morning. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, uh, I wasn't in that video and I was very mad about it. So, yeah. <laughs> so I, mean, that I wasn't mad about not being in it. I just didn't just in general. need to see all that he was doing in that. So, mm. yeah, that's just off. All right, next up. No one can make me laugh like you. Nobody turns my one to two. No idea. That is, I guess I miss you from SpongeBob the Musical. Uh, oh, why you I never even knew he was a part of that. Yeah, but you know what? We're okay. sneaky. <laughs> All right, last one. Okay. Headband of the day. It's the headband of the day. Push your locks away. It's the headband of the day. I wrote that song, by the way. And, John gets all the credit. And congratulations on that. But you got four wrongs still, <laughs> so you gotta put out the tweet. Okay, I will. <laughs> I was gonna tweet this anyway. All right, so thank you, Chrissy, so <laughs> much for being. You. This Thanks has been for having a great me. time. And Cravings Hungry for More is out now. Up next, more AM to DM, so stay tuned. your middle school days playing Ape Escape, this is the Throwback Thursday for you. I'm joined by Allegra Frank, news editor at Polygon, to talk about the return of vintage video games. Allegra, thanks so much for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm loving the green behind you. It's a look. So Sony is releasing a smaller version of the original PlayStation this December. So why do you think they decided now to relaunch such a classic? Um, so Nintendo has kind of owned that 
uh, mini console classic thing for the last two years. Uh, there was the NES classic and then last year, the SNES classic, both of those sold bonkers numbers. So I think Sony kind of had to look at that and say, yeah, no, that's a good idea. We should, we should actually cop that. Do you think this is because of the 90s nostalgia that obviously we here at BuzzFeed know a lot about? Or what do you think is driving this? Oh my God, yeah. I think definitely like our generation is of age where like we miss being children. We have day jobs and we realize, no, we, we kind of just want to chill out and play video games and watch cartoons. Um, like we see it with all these remakes, right? Like Space Jam 2 is happening. Um, it, it's definitely like a huge factor in these re-releases, but also just a really dominant factor in culture right now. We miss being children. I feel like psychiatrists could have a field day with that. <laughs> so how does this compare then to the classic releases that Nintendo and Sega have done? Are they gonna try to take it up a notch? So right now, um, it kind of seems like they're learning what uh, from what Nintendo sort of did with the NES to the SNES Classic, right? So the NES Classic came with one controller, but the SNES has two. Uh, the PlayStation Classic also is going to like very much emphasize like, no, there are multiplayer games on here. We want people to buy multiple controllers. Um, also, you know, it's like a much newer console. It's a younger console than the NES and SNES. So it's a little bit more exciting on that level. They have huge classics on there already, like Final Fantasy VII. Um, they haven't released the whole list of games yet though. So I think just like the excitement behind this is a more recent thing that many of us actually grew up with. That's going to be a pretty big factor in like people of our generation, maybe being a bit more hyped up for this one than NES or SNES classic. Yeah, I heard a rumor that you are a Final Fantasy VII fan. Are you excited for any of the other games that are coming preloaded or what are you most excited about to check out? Only here for Final Fantasy. No, um, I think like there's some games like Wild Arms and Ridge Racer, games that I didn't get to play when I was, you know, younger when the PlayStation One came out that I've heard are, you know, amazing and like must play games. So I'm really excited actually to try out the games that I've never touched. Um, we only know of five games right now. I think there's supposed to be 20 in total. So I'm really hoping that like the other 15 on there like, you know, all-time greats that I never got to play growing up. And I hope Metal Gear Solid is on it. That is like a must-play for sure. Do you know of any other ones that fans are clamoring before that could be in that 20? Uh, definitely Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> um, the other two Final Fantasy games for PlayStation, uh, the mainline ones like 8 and 9, Final Fantasy Tactics, Gran Turismo. Um, I think that's a really big one, Crash Bandicoot, Spyro, like there were so many really great franchises that started on PlayStation. So there's a huge list already. Do you think that they're going to keep putting out these old games? Are there any other systems or anything you'd like to see come back? Or do you think that this trend is kind of on its way out? I think it's just getting started, honestly. I, like I can see this having really long legs. I would love a Nintendo 64 classic. Like if Nintendo just keeps going with this, I will buy their new consoles and their old consoles for like the fifth time. Like just keep, keep it going. We just are all nostalgic fiends. I mean, that's definitely true. We all know we love 90s nostalgia and now I'll just get to play all the games. That's great. Allegra, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me. Okay guys, we want to hear from you. What video game did you spend the most time playing as a kid? I know for me it was Mario Kart, but I want to hear from you. Up next, Chantal is sitting down with Shamar Moore and I'm very excited.
This is a sit down on, and I'm here with award-winning actor Shamar Moore, star of SWAT on CBS. Hey. Good morning, how you doing? What's up, girl? I'm doing good. Let's make it about you right quick. I'm gonna take over your show. Because <laughs> we're gonna talk about these shoes. Put your foot in the air. Come Listen. on, let them know, let them know. Look, look, she got little fish swimming around Listen, in you here. Listen, like you see, I literally wanted to put fish in here. Those okay. are banging in Listen, the hair. Thank the you, hair. I appreciate it. Thank winning, you so much. Winning, <laughs> I appreciate it. Well, this is about you, so bring them back. <laughs> so right. tell me, season two of SWAT. Yeah, no, no, no. And you play Daniel no, no, no. Hondo Harrison, mm -hmm. who, I mean, he is he's an action-packed. He is about that business. So tell me, you, you've played so many different roles over your career, mm. and you've said that this is your dream job. Why is that? Well, mama, here come that man. And that's <laughs> what I always say about Hondo. Um, the, I, you know, I'm, I'm very proud of everything I've done, and this is my 25th year in the game. And, you know, I started out uh, Malcolm Winters, uh, Drusilla Baby Daddy on Young mm -hmm. and the Restless. And so, you know, I never forget where I came from, yeah. not in life and career. And I'm just really proud of my growth and so the reason I have uh, my this is a new jacket I got because I'm trying to be nice. cute but the, really underneath nice. here is a tattoo um, from the show if I can I'm oh, telling wow, you you're committed so there you go yes yeah, so so you know I don't know if you it's can a see real that. tattoo it's not fake hey, this is not fake can you see that somehow wow so that's actually the SWAT Eagle from the show. Wow. So you'll see that on our T-shirts, on the walls. And so it's not, you know, I don't put my whole resume on my body. Yeah. But um, the reason I have that is because I just like what an eagle uh, symbolizes mm -hmm. for me as far as how high you can fly, yeah. being a dreamer, um, just soaring, and, and just continuing to climb in life and career. So the reason I call it a dream job is it's not, it's not because it's better than another mm -hmm. the other j jobs I've done. Everything has been great. Everything has groomed me and seasoned me uh, in my maturity, uh, my path of acting. But to be the leader, mm -hmm. to the leader, uh, and to be the lead of the show. I'm very proud to be the lead of the show, but I'm also humble enough and smart enough to know that I can't do it by myself. Yeah. But to be kind of the quarterback of the team, uh, to be doing something very fresh for network television, and to have this really crazy action-packed show. Yeah. I mean. If you remember SWAT, if you're old enough, which I am, to remember the TV show back in the 70s, mm -hmm. and then the movie with LL Cool J, Colin Farrell, yeah. uh, Michelle Rodriguez, Jeremy Renner, about 15 years ago. And so now this is the rebooted, yeah. just crazy action pack, but it also, it also deals with real life issues. And so I love it because I'm leading this kind of new vision of this show mm -hmm. that's tackling real issues of what's going on today, yeah. you know, from immigration to Black Lives Matter, just just human stories that I think people can all relate to. So crazy fun, yeah. crazy action, like, you know, get your food together, get your drinks together, don't don't disappear for the commercials, yeah. TiVo it so you can speed action through the pack. commercials, whatever. You don't want to miss a second. Did you get training for this from a SWAT we did team? All, yeah, we did, I mean, serious, serious wow. training. Like, my body is going, hey, dude, hey, dude. <laughs> You're 48 years old, bro. Pump your brakes. And because my character Hondo, he's like 35 or 36. Yeah. So I'm in the gym in a whole different kind of way. I'm going to my doctors going, hey, you know, what's happening? You got to keep Check my up. body. You got to keep my body right for about another six to wow. 10. But uh, no, we trained with um, San Diego PD SWAT, wow. uh, LAPD SWAT, SEAL Team 6. For those who don't really, you know the name SWAT. But these are the real men and women, yeah. which is really dope. You have women, you know, who are who handle their business in the justice system and are some bad mamas in a yeah. good way and so they're physically insane they physically but they're emotionally so strong yeah. and 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 what they have to contend with i mean i'm an actor i'm playing pretend the bullets aren't real um but it's very important to myself and the rest of the cast and uh the producers that we uh 
we come across authentic. We really want to pay homage. We really want to give respect to the men and women um, of the Justice Department that, that help save lives. I mean, we have, a saying, we have a saying on the show that we protect those who can't protect themselves. But the men, when, you, when you speak to these men and women, when we train with them, when we go through the tactical training, it's no joke, all the gear, the weapons. Um, but they've seen life and death. They've seen, and they've seen the light and the dark. Mm -hmm. And uh, somehow they strive and find resolve to still fight for the light. For, for those for those who can't protect themselves so in a fun TV show we we also want to bring you that humanity so that's why I call it a dream job because I think it's it's bigger than me it's bigger than just a fun television show it really has a strong message a and strong I'm message. the quarterback of all that yeah and speaking of a strong message you just spoke on this a moment ago black lives matter the show touches on those issues mm -hmm. and you or your character being law enforcement and dealing with the sensitivity of the neighborhood he grew up in with the current racial tensions happening today in society with law enforcement and minority communities do you ever feel conflicted playing a SWAT character? Um, I don't feel conflicted. I mean, just, there's a lot of dark going on. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of chaos going on in the world, in this country and around the world. And, uh, you know, what we don't want to do is, 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 is we're not the news. Yeah. I mean, we're not going to preach to you. You know, we don't, you get enough of that on the news and in your everyday life. We want, we want to entertain you and make you feel a little better about yourself and about life and, and feel some optimism. But we also want to we also want to portray uh, ideas and messages of what is going on, and maybe maybe a different perspective to consider. You know, if if we can if we can create a debate, yeah. you don't have to. Like I said, SWAT. When you watch SWAT, it is a thrill ride. It is so fun. We are some badass cops making it happen, chasing down some bad guys, mm -hmm. and we're doing it in a bunch of cool ways: helicopters repelling off buildings, uh, motorcycle chases, car chases, a bunch of stuff blowing up. Yeah. And, you know, so it's it's a good time, but laced in there is this element of truth. Mm -hmm. And so conflicted, no, I, 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 I like playing this type of hero because, because he, he's, a, he's a human hero, he's a hu human superhero. I don't wear a cape and some tights, you know, I just <laughs> wear G.I. Joe gear, I call it. <laughs> but I like that he's fighting for the good of all. Mm -hmm. It's not just a black thing. I am a black man. Uh, my character comes from South LA, myself in real life. I come from East Oakland, mm -hmm. um, which is the hood. Yeah. Uh, my mama got me out of the hood, but um, I still remember where I came from, as I said. And so I, all of that is a part of me. And uh, there's a lot of similarities between myself, Shamar, and Hondo. Mm -hmm. Not the same. And Hondo's a bad, bad dude. He's a bad man, Jemma. If Hondo and Shamar Moore got in a fight, <laughs> Shamar Moore would be on his back. <laughs> but Shamar has a lot more fun yeah. than Hondo because uh -huh. you know Hondo's always got that scowl, yeah. got that scowl. And uh, but uh, no, I, I I really like the optimism. I like the fun. I like the entertainment value. But I like the human story, and I like that I get to play a character that sees beyond color yeah. and tries to find justice for all colors. Absolutely. And pivoting to your loyal fan base, because you have been doing this for years. You have you're a saying I'm old? I'm you're not saying, saying you're old. I told I'm you my age. Because, okay? you know, this black That's ain't trying to crack no time soon. Where, I'm just where's your birth certificate? Because 48, I don't believe. Ah, there you now, go. There you your go. fan you base, go. you call them baby girls. You're good girl. at your job, girl. I, listen, you're good I tried. I tried. You call your fan base baby girls. What made you want to name them? Homies, I can't, I can't homies. discriminate. It's okay. homies, homies, fans, fans, because some fans don't want to be homies. Uh -huh. And there's some ladies out there like, I don't want to be no baby girl, but I still like you. So you have so, multiple names. So I got homies, okay. fans, and baby girl. Okay, what's the fa craziest fan encounter you've ever had with the homies, fans, baby girls? I mean, you know, a couple of them figured out where I live, you know, and then, you know, you know what's, you know what's, I'm so, 
without my fan base, mm -hmm. you know, before social media, you know, I've been doing this 25 years, but now with social media, you see me in my backyard yeah. clowning, and, and I'm having fun I on Instagram. And, and so I'm, you know, funny. I'm dancing and lip syncing and, <laughs> and hanging out with my bulldogs and, you know, take my little shirt off, show a little brown sugar for the ladies. You know, I'm just, I'm just playing, because like I said, Shamar has a lot more fun mm -hmm. than Hondo. Um, but here's, here's what stinks about what's going on is, you know, I'm doing my thing, and I'm just, and I'm just a young cat. Look, what I always say is, I'm in Hollywood, I'm blessed to be in Hollywood, mm -hmm. but I refuse to be Hollywood. And what I mean by that is I'm not getting lost in the sauce, I'm not getting caught up in my hype. I'm just a regular dude who had a dream and, and just you know, just get defied the odds and just said, you know what, I'm gonna try, I'm gonna try, I'm gonna try, and, and I'm making it. And so now there are people out there seeing the platform that I have and the access and fan base, and so there's people pretending to be me. And so that's, I haven't had any stalker fans yeah. or, you know, I've been invited to proms, yeah. I've been, you know, I'll have you baby. I mean, there's a lot of that <laughs> stuff, you know. Um, but uh, no, that there's people pretending to be me and trying to extort money yeah. from fans wow. and using, in, in my baby girl campaign, you know, I call my fans baby girls, but baby girl also comes from, there's a little catchphrase I said on my last show, Criminal Minds, uh, with my original baby girl. And then I started a charity because my mother has multiple sclerosis mm -hmm. for the last 20 years. And so I said, what's a cool way to interact with the fans, flirt with the baby girls, uh, but do something positive that doesn't put not a penny in my pocket, but can raise money and awareness for um, this terrible disease called MS. And you know, my dream is in my mother's lifetime, if I can look her in her eye and say, hey, we were part of helping find a cure for multiple sclerosis. Wow. So I started this charity called Baby Girl, where it's cute clothes and sweatsuits and little booty shorts, you know, long enough to keep the cheeks where they gotta <laughs> oh, be, gosh. you know, tank tops, little fun, little yeah. the phone cases with my abs on it, little mm -hmm. silly fun stuff. Yeah. But now there are people pretending to be me, DMing and, and reaching out, however you reach out to fans, pretend, saying, hey, I'm Shamar and you're my baby girl. Wow. Donate money to such and such and to this P.O. box. And, and so I have had fans to where uh, investigations had to, wow. to fans, get underway. Wow, fans, y'all need to calm down, really do. No, I, I mean, there was a young lady a, a few years ago who really thought that I was calling her and wow. communicating with her, professing my love to her. And this woman uh, sent this Shamar, uh, what was it, like about, $250,000 wow. to a P.O. box because this Shamar was claiming to be helping an orphanage in Africa. Wow. And the police came to my house and questioned me for a few hours. This was a few years ago. And, uh, and it's just sad because it wasn't me and this poor young lady is out a lot of money because of her affinity for me. Wow. So whoever she is and wherever she is, I have nothing but love for you and I'm sorry that that happened to you. Um, it's just, I, I'm, I'm doing, me and my team are doing everything we can to stop those type of people. But that, you know, social media is a blessing and a burden. Well, we definitely hope that situation works itself out. Mm -hmm. I mean, from the young and the restless to criminal minds to living single even, you are a legend. Oh, so goodness. we truly appreciate you stopping by, Shamar. <laughs> well, thanks for having Thank me. You so Thanks much. for having me. All right, y'all. Season two of SWAT premieres on CBS on Thursday, na, na, September 24th na, na, at 10 p.m. Up na, next, na, na. Alex and I respond to your tweets. <laughs>
Chantal, we did it. We did it? We did we it. We made it? Yes, I'm uh, still coming down from that Shamar interview. Oh, I bet. Uh. I want to bring up this uh, tweet from Pixmaven. Um, you said, oof, the range on today's show, bringing us back up after some heavy emotions. Yes, and correction, Samar Moore's CBS show SWAT actually comes on Thursday, September 27th on CBS, so I wanted to make that correction there. Well, let's get into uh, some of your tweets. Pixmaven, you also had this reaction to Hayes Brown's incredible interview with Allison John. Hayes Brown, this is an utterly heartbreaking interview, and I am so glad we're able to hear from Allison John. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it was really heavy. I'm so glad that she got to come here and tell her story, and they got to talk about a lot of the media coverage Absolutely. as well. And feeling her energy, I just, my heart goes out to her, and I'm just so happy she came here to talk on behalf of her son. Yeah. Absolutely. And on a much lighter note, we asked you who should perform at the Super Bowl. Joe Lee says, can we get Janet and Missy on the Super Bowl? Recreate this iconic moment. Yes. And, you know, it's not yes. like I watched the Super Bowl for the football anyways. But I would definitely, definitely just tune in for the halftime show if it were those two together. Same. That's basically could be the whole show. I'm fine with that. All right. JD had this to say about Chrissy Teigen. Screams every time Chrissy Teigen doesn't know about stuff about her husband. Yeah, that was also such a fun interview getting to watch Hayes yeah. uh, sit down with Chrissy. And she didn't know all of the I lyrics, know, like, you know? four of them. John's going to be like, look, what, what's going on here? Come on, Chrissy. Mm -hmm. I mean, look. He's very prolific, yes. so it's understandable. Yes. Let it go. Mm -hmm. Love having Chrissy on. It was her second time, and I hope that she comes back on in the yes, future. Yeah, for sure. Come back, Chrissy. Well, on that note, thank you to our guests, Jamia Wilson, Marianne George Antopoulos, Jose Antonio Vargas, Nidhi Prakash, Allison John, Lee Merritt, Hayes Brown, Chrissy Teigen, Stephanie McNeil, Allegra Moore, and Allegra Frank, excuse me, and Shamar Moore. I'm just so excited about all the guests so that we have excited. on today. I can't even <laughs> say thank you. Tomorrow is Friday. I will be co-hosting with Katie Natopoulos, so that's two great reasons to tune in. Have a good one, y'all. Yeah!